Wheels, 12.40 p.m., February 6th. Entering the RSS feed of Got It Memorized, a Twin Peaks podcast with a Kingdom Hearts quote for a title. Shouldn't be too hard to remember. I'm sure the hosts have a fun show. That's what I need. Fun show reasonably paced. My name's Joe. I'm joined, as always, by Wheels. I don't know if it's reasonably paced is going to be true by the end of this. That's true, especially when we get into the return, and it's like, well... This episode was mostly 40 minutes of, of rumbling sounds, but we yeah. will take three hours to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Reasonably paced is how I'll describe the, the 10 episodes we do on the movie. <laughs> I don't really have a bit for this opener, but I did want to point out, I'm not sure if we've ever talked about how good the title, op- the, like the opening sequence of the show is, just like the theme. Probably not. The opening it's theme. Good. It's really good. There's something about like, the music has that. I mean, we've talked about Agelo Badalamenti and how instrumental. Oh, absolutely. No pun intended. His music is. Oh, Angelo. Yeah, there's something about like the the kind of that that contrast between like beauty and happiness and sadness that's in that main theme. That like just seeing all of like the beautiful nature imagery, but with the music just kind of tinging it with like a little bit of sadness that you can't place is like ooh. Yeah, I mean, I see Twin Peaks. It, it it literally I see Twin Peaks as what's so like as yeah. as funny as that is it's also just true and genuine uh-huh. and saccharine which I mean is how you could describe the show also it's very funny but also yep uh, all of that uh, sincerity is kind of underneath it um, and this I think this episode's also directed by Twin Peaks which means it's also a great example of exactly that sort of uh, did you say this episode was directed by oh, Twin I did. Peaks I did. <laughs> When I meant to say David Lynch. The, the, the city hall sprouts arms and legs and is like, And now we cut to the double R. <laughs> it's an establishing shot. First we cut to the street light. It goes from green to yellow to red like a visual haiku. This is the voice of Twin Peaks City Hall. Why does it sound like that? I don't know, because I thought it it's like a big mech, so it would have a big voice. Yeah. Anyway, anything interesting in this log lady intro? Uh she talks about cream, cream corn. corn. Oh good. It's like actually important. Yeah. It's yeah, I, I didn't realize that's the thing is my memory of this show and like what happens when is spotty and uh these first two episodes being directed by David Lynch, not Twin Peaks, the animate the City Hall. These ep- a lot of the things that I remember liking are much earlier on than I thought. Uh, yep. in- including Garland Briggs now suddenly being a main character. Love his stuff in the set. So the Log Lady talks a lot about space, the final frontier. D- David Lynch's sort of uh, obsession with electronic stuff feels like b- packed in here too. Uh, stars, moons, and planets remind us of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Uh, is there a bigger being walking with all the stars within? And then, like, halfway through, she pivots to, where does cream corn figure into the workings of the universe? <laughs> what really is cream? What really is cream to corn? Is it a symbol for something else? What are birds? We just don't know. We just don't uh, know. Yes, Log Lady is a symbol for something else. It's explicitly stated later in the show that cream corn is a symbol, is, is a stand-in for Garmenbosia, oh, which yeah. translates roughly to pain and suffering, just for the listener. But, uh, yeah, they just call it creamed corn, corn for a while at first. Yeah, just, uh, that's the other thing, too, is I forgot that this this these uh, shots of the creamed corn, corn, this imagery was in the show necessarily because I associate it so much with the film. Uh, and right. Garmenbosia. Uh-huh. But yeah, I was I was like, wouldn't it we, we could have a funny sort of pop up shop that was Garmin Boba where it's 
like the bubble tea, <laughs> but instead of what's actually in the bubbles, it's creamed it's corn. It's corn. Yeah. yeah. I think that would be great. This anyway. first scene is so great for the the same reason that I'm constantly praising Twin Peaks, which is the especially the first season, which is just like the economics of the script. This scene is a funny character thing. It's a recap and it establishes stuff that is uh like plot important for the entire arc of the second season and it's just cooper and albert having a conversation the first thing that happens is like i don't even mean this to be a plug because the thing i'm talking about won't even come out for months but i'm i'm working on a like an edutainment show about religion and my deepest fear is that <laughs> is that it won't be funny like I want it to be and it'll just be Cooper in this scene who just has a big grin on his face as he says Buddhist tradition first came to the land of snow in the 5th century AD the first Tibetan king to be touched by the Dharma was King Hathatha Ringnamputsan he and succeeding kings were collectively known as the happy generations now some historians place them in the water snake year 213 AD others in the year of the water ox 173 AD amazing isn't it the happy (laughs) generations I'm so terrified that when I'm done with that show it'll just be that (sighs) anyway who could say probably not uh but i guess if if so then maybe people will respond like albert and just say agent cooper i'm thrilled to pieces that the dharma came to king ho 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 i really am but right now i'm just trying hard to focus on the more immediate problems of our own century right here in twin peaks (laughs) albert you'd be surprised at the connection between the two (laughs) color me amazed ronette pulaski is woken from her coma and i'm thinking she's gonna have quite the story to tell when she regains the ability to speak So she's not talking. Waking, but silence, probably shock. I'm going to go show her sketches of Leo Johnson and Bob, the man Sarah Palmer saw in her vision, the man who came to me in my dream. Has anyone seen Bob on Earth in the last few weeks? (laughs) No, not yet. Uh, Albert opens up a a folder and says, Okay, I uh, performed the autopsy on Jacques Renault. Stomach contents revealed, let's see, beer cans, a Maryland license plate, half a bicycle tire, (laughs) a goat, and a small wooden puppet goes by the name of Pinocchio. Uh, incredible. Cooper says, you're making a joke. <laughs> I like to think of myself as one of the happy generations. I love that line because it reveals that even though as dismissive as Albert was being about that whole spiel. He was listening. About Tibet, he was listening, Joe. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, continues to point out that, uh, he was able to figure out the, that Jacques Renault was like strangled, but not strangled at the throat, but like suffocated with a pillow. Uh, the person was wearing gloves, and the tape was stolen from the hospital supply closet. So that's that's the end of that. What about the mill, says Cooper? Uh, well, preliminary suggest arsons. I nominate Leo Johnson. We'll have to get a statement from Shelly Johnson. Apparently the hospital says she's well enough, although they don't get to that in this episode. No, but um, we do see her. But We see they, her, and, they and talk she's about out of the how, hospital. Yeah, and she talks about how the, the police want to talk to her. Yeah, but we don't get a statement necessarily, but that... Right. There's a Leo thread that is started in this episode. Uh-huh. But yeah, they continue. Albert asks Cooper, how do you feel? Me? I believe it's customary to ask after the health of one recently plugged three times. Uh, Cooper doesn't really answer. He just says, thanks for asking. Don't get sentimental. <laughs> Who shot me, Albert? My men are interrogating the hotel guests, the usual bumper crop of rural know-nothings and drunken fly, drunken fly fishermen. <laughs> Nothing so far. Uh, he's just oh. so... He's just constituted of contempt like that's uh-huh. what, like at the atomic level that's what makes up this man and i love it oh the world's most de- uh, decrepit rube service waiter remembers nothing out of the ordinary <laughs> but the night in question no surprise there senior drool cup has shall we say a mind that wanders 
Albert, my ring is gone. One day, here, the next day, gone. So? I'm glad you're with us, Albert. We need the very best. <laughs> Dedication to duty wasn't the only thing that brought me back here, Cooper. What else? This is the other thing that I did not think was mentioned in episode two of the mm-hmm, season. Because it doesn't, it's the thing I was mentioning that ends up being important for like late into the season of season two. But yeah, it kind of gets introduced here and then dropped for a while, kind of. Yeah. Uh, but Albert says, Wyndham Earl. Uh, the music changes and it's <laughs> a little more We haven't mentioned dramatic. that the, behind them is a quartet. Like, sl- true. Just kind of humming, quartet, yeah. adding to the, the ambiance of the scene. But yes, the music changes here to get darker. No yeah, sacks. Yeah, Cooper seems, Cooper's a little startled, and he says, Agent Earl, he's retired. Yeah, to a nice comfy chair, complete with wrist restraints to the local laughing academy. What happened? Nobody knows. Your former partner flew the coop, Coop. He escaped. Great line. Vanished into thin air. Erased from existence. Cooper sends it with, that's not good. Yeah, we pan across the room to uh, the man, I think this is the same man that was on the phone call. I didn't check the name. It is correct. That's correct. It's the man uh, from the man who was making a call to Hong Kong. Yes. In, in like, the last, the last episode, episode re- somehow related to Josie, we know, but we don't really know much more than that. Yeah, but he is watching them. The script names them as as Jonathan Humagai. So we'll get there. Right. But yes, they uh, fades from that to uh, uh, the next scene with uh, Donna, which we had already started referencing. The, yeah, this is the scene where I was like, one. After this scene, I forgot that Donna was just a different person in the last episode uh, because she's kind of back to her previous equilibrium. Yeah, I mean, I think she was in the last one. She was kind of putting on an act for James. She wanted to look like, yeah, I'm a cool I'm cool girl now. It's it's yeah. hot girl summer, James. Yeah. Da- uh, well, what, get Donna- out of prison so I can make out the shit out of you. <laughs> Donna's in two scenes in this episode and holding them together with hot Donna in the last episode is just a very funny sort of uh, uh-huh. uh, funky chowder. Anyways, Donna, she is not dressed well in this scene. She, her, the colors are not working. No. Like, I don't mean to be Mm-mm. mean about it, but who boy. Who, who the boy. hair is a good look. She has it like back, so from the front, it kind of, like it looks. The hair looks good, but the it's like a there's like a forest green like lifesaver ass uh, <laughs> vest with and there's like an orange that does not work with it. It's a lot. There's like I've a already, third color that I don't even remember. I've already forgotten, and I, I am impressed that you retained so many details. It just struck me as like, girl, what are you doing? <laughs> She's going through some stuff. You had it figured out last episode. She's going through some stuff. Anyways, if you remember last time, she picked up Laura's Meals on Wheels route. uh, And this is her doing that, making a a delivery of food to a Mrs. Trimmond. Does she have a first name? Hard to say. But she's got at least two last names in the course of the series. These are some of my favorite of like the supernatural characters in Twin Peaks. I mean, I mm-hmm. like a lot of them, but I really like the Tremons slash the Chalfonts slash whatever we're calling them this week. Uh, they're Tremons in And this, this is their episode. introduction, by the way, listener, if you don't, if that doesn't sound familiar to you, no. it's because it's the first time we mentioned them. Yes, but, uh, yeah, so Donna is bringing food into this house. It, this is, again, like an episode with not a lot of music. There's a lot of just sort of hums mm-hmm. and uh, maybe like ambience that is technically composed by by the lamente because it sounds like maybe a coming from an electric piano but certainly not something you'd compare to a lot of the soundtrack of the show donna is bringing uh, oh first off knocks on the door says meals on wheels 
And eventually when Miss Trimmond, who is uh, bedridden in this scene, she eventually notices there's a small boy in a tuxedo sitting in a chair like across from the bed. And she eventually just says, enter. And I love that that's her announcement. Uh, yeah. And then Donna does, in fact, enter, doesn't see the little kid. And so she put, you know, she puts the meal down. And then the kid says, miss. And, she, and you could clearly see Donna like jumps a million miles into the air. Was not expecting a small, well-dressed boy. Mm-hmm. Played by uh, Lynch's son, I think. Oh, is that true? I didn't know that. I, I mean, it looks like a tiny David Lynch. Makes sense. Is it Jack Austin? I just saw the credits. I think it's I th- Austin Jack Lynch, is, I think his name. Yeah, I've pulled, I, you, I googled his name and the picture of him in the little suit does come up from this episode. Well, there you have it. That's a nice little piece of trivia there. That's cute. Yeah. I mean, also, too, just like, he looks like a tiny David Lynch. Yeah. <laughs> Especially here at this age. But anyways, yeah, he's over there given a great performance. But after he has, yeah, gotten Donna's attention and scared the shit out of her, he says, sometimes things can happen just like this. And he snaps his fingers. Mrs. Trimmon, uh opens the, the food. Right, right. And she, uh, like, Donna doesn't really know what to say to the kid's random statement. Oh, cool. That so- sometimes things can happen just like this. But she doesn't need to respond because Mrs. Tremon uh, fills the silence and she says, Creamed corn? Do you see cream corn on this plate? I, you're more electric than I think she actually is because there's, there's like a weird eeriness throughout this whole scene. Um, That's true. Da- dare I yeah, say there's a, ten- there's a tension Lynchian. you can't... She seems like she's angry, but you can't place it. Yeah, it's like, something. is she angry or is she just an old woman that I don't know? And she's tr- struggling to speak clearly. That That's kind of the tension where you're not sure. There's something Lynchian about this Twin Peaks uh-huh. show. Very Lynchian. Yeah, it's, what a coincidence this guy's Frostian. name is Lynch. Yeah. Lynch Frost Productions even. Uh, anyways, yes, she does see cream mm-hmm. corn on the plate. It is a third of this. Meal on wheels. Meal on, on wheels. You see Donna's point of view of it, and then she looks back up and says, Yes? I requested no cream, cream corn. corn. And then they lock eyes Do again. Do you see cream, cream corn, corn on that plate? She looks down again, and it is not there. It is The plate has been cleaned as well. It's not even like there's a puddle left of the cream, cream from the corn. corn. It's just gone. And she says, No. And then the camera quickly cuts back to the grandson in the tux who is holding, cupping his hands together with the cream corn in it. It's, it's a unpleasant sensory thing to imagine to just yeah. be holding cream, cream corn. corn. So it's kind of just upsetting to look at for that reason. Mm-hmm. But she like kind of like Donna, like awkward, awkwardly smiles, isn't sure what to do. And then Mrs. Tremont, Tremont says... My grandson is studying magic. Yeah, that's, uh, oh, <laughs> there's an interrobang in the transcript here, which I like, which because it says, through Donna's POV, the grandson moves his hands to his chest, no longer cradling the cream, cream corn. corn. The cream, cream corn, corn has disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> this, the, the person who transcribed this gets it. They get it. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, we were talking about this before the log lady intro. It's uh, later the term will become more common and this is sort of the the introduction of the visual conceit even if they just say cream corn it's a it's a thing it's a whole thing <laughs> yeah it's not it's not a lot yet but it it will be like in the full context it seems to me as like a it, it's almost like you know they're just weird spiritual people you know half existent half supernatural yep and they're talking in their 
strange dialect that they speak in where they say cream Cream corn corn. and mean suffering. And they kind of just start talking like this, expecting Donna to understand them. And of course she doesn't because Donna's just Donna. Donna's just Donna. Mm -hmm. She asks, who are you? And Donna says, I'm just Donna. Uh, No, she says, I'm taking over Laura Palmer's place on the Meals on Wheels. She's dead. Did you know her well? Wrapped in plant. No, she didn't <laughs> say that. Uh, she says, no. Uh, everything is going slower than we're describing it, I promise. Uh-huh. And spaced out. Uh, but Donna eventually sort of gets up and says, okay, Mrs. Tremond, I'll be back tomorrow to pick this up and to bring your lunch. I didn't notice this. Apparently she says, they used to bring me hospital food, that Jeanette. Did you see the that Jeanette part? I didn't notice that. My subtitles in the Blu-ray said, imagine that. So that's what I thought it was, too. Yeah, so that makes more sense. I don't they, know if there's uh, a Jeanette out there and it's I don't know, but they used to bring me hospital food. Imagine that. I don't know why she says that, but I guess we did have the whole thing about hospital food tasting like shit last time. We she did. Says, Young lady, you might ask Mr. Smith next door. Donna says, Mr. Smith? <laughs> My name's Nia. No, I mean, that's reverse, but it still couldn't figure out how to best do that reference. Uh, she says. He was Laura's friend. The grandson says something in French, which I'm glad is here in the transcript so I can... I am a lonely soul. Huh. That's my favorite episode, Lonely Souls, which we'll get there eventually. <laughs> Whoa, that's weird. I didn't even think about how we called that episode. Wait, is, is, didn't we call that episode... Didn't we name of that episode after yeah. an episode of Twin Peaks, but not yeah. this episode? Not this one. Odd. This episode's just called Coma. That's right. But yeah, Lonely Souls is like, I think it's the the one with the big reveal. Ah, uh, I see. In, in the middle of the, of the season. If I remember correctly, because I was looking at who, I, I, one, I was looking at the who directed what episode a while ago of season two. Uh, Mrs. Tremond ends the scene by saying Mr. Smith does not leave his house, and then Donna leaves. Yep. And she tries to knock on this Mr. Smith's door, next door, and no one comes. She leaves a note which I guess her phone number on it, because she gets a call later. As she's starting to leave, clearly someone is looking at the blinds and then stops looking when she turns around. Also, we cut back in on the, the, the little boy in the tux, the grandson, who says, she seemed like a very nice girl. Sure. Yeah. Then we go to the hospital. This, yeah, this scene, I think we can mostly just summarize. There's a nice thing at the beginning, kind of reminding us that Cooper was shot recently and he needs... He needs Harry's assistance getting around, and so Harry has to, like, because Cooper can't bend over to read the instructions under the stool that he wants to use to adjust its height, he has to have Harry read it aloud to him, and they just Mm -hmm. leave the whole thing in there, which normally you would just cut that out, but it's just a nice thing to show, like, you know, even though they haven't known each other for that long, they've gone through enough together that, like, Truman is happy being Cooper's kind of assistant as he as he uh rests up and heals from his wounds I yeah. like that little character thing uh they're here to meet with Ronette. yeah truman reading all this and then they adjust it cooper hurts himself in the process of adjusting the height of the stool all of this with Ronette sort of in the foreground of the shot in the bed one long take but eventually once they've adjusted the stools and sit down cooper does talk to Ronette, who does not talk back but he Sort of shows two sketches, one of Leo Johnson and one of the man from the visions, Bob, the the long, the long haired man. I love the effect that they do as. Oh, yeah. Cooper, because she is like you can tell that she's like she's only she's she is awake from her coma, but she's not completely here yet. And so, you know, she's still out of it. And you get her perspective as Cooper is 
is moving the drawings closer to her eyes so that she can see them better. And that's represented as being out of focus and coming into focus. And there's something so haunting about Mm -hmm. the face getting closer and the sketch getting closer and more distinct uh, until it locks into focus. And the first time, yeah, it's Leo and she doesn't really respond to it. The second time it's Bob and she starts uh, screaming and she Mm -hmm. mentions that in this kind of state that she's in, she's kind of transported in her mind back to the memory of being um, in the train car where we know. um, Is that where we know Laura was killed or was she just there at some Uh, point? I I believe that's considered the scene of the the ultimate crime. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's Cooper notes like, oh, she's saying train. She she must the, the, the face of Bob, even though she's not able to really be coherent right now that seeing the face of bob immediately puts her back into that memory so cooper concludes that it must be this guy we're looking for yep that effect you were describing with the the focus coming in and out is sort of mirrored near the end of the episode when cooper has a in another a, a horrifying yeah. oh i thought oh you meant that scene which yeah. is also kind of horrifying there's another horrifying scene that this oh, yes. also mirrors that we'll get to yes there's a lot of bob in this episode uh-huh but yeah that's that's really it for the i think you've summed up the this Ronette interrogation pretty pretty succinctly. She says train, and they sort of bring a nurse in to take care of her, and that's kind of it. Fade fade away. She says, too. I'm train's gender. <laughs> uh, we get a Ben and Jerry scene, uh, which is a, it's, it's actually a good recap of the mill, so I think it's worth uh, reading, and also it's funny as fuck. Uh, so if you're cool reading it, I think it's worth it for the mill recap here. Yeah, do you want to be you want to be Ben or Jerry? Ooh. I'll be Ben. So it opens then with uh, Jerry, the I don't. I'm assuming younger, at least smaller brother. Yep. <laughs> uh, but brother Ben, we've got two ledgers and one smoked cheese pig. Which one do we burn? And it ain't gonna be my pig. And he does, in fact, have a little cheese pig that he takes a bite out of. He nibbles on this pig through the whole scene. And Ben says, "The real ledger." And they have both of them in front of them. It's a it's a cute little visual. They're just kind of uh, stood in front of them. The real ledger shows the mill slowly falling into bankruptcy, masterminded by Catherine. The one she faked for public consumption shows the mill turning a healthy profit. So which one do we burn? And he continues chewing on cheese pig. Catherine's dead. We put all our money on Josie. Catherine takes the fall for the fire. Josie pockets the insurance money, sells us the mill and the land at, and, no, wait a minute. First, she has to get dear Pete to sign on the dotted line. Why does Pete have to sign? Andrew's will calls for Catherine or her heirs to approve of any sale. So, which one do we burn? (laughs) Continues eating cheese pig. Ben continues not answering the question directly. Ben continues prefacing. Ben is me in this scene. I'm constantly prefacing too much. Once Josie sells us the mill, we could get a better price if it appears to be more profitable. So we burn the real one. On the other hand, the real one would hold up under any future scrutiny. Depending on how one looks at the situation, it appears they both have merit. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Maybe we should burn both of them. It looks like we are 100% certain that we're not sure. Jer, obviously something requires burning. 
And since we don't want to set fire to your smoked cheese pig, why don't we, uh, try these? And he walks over to his desk and he grabs a bag of marshmallows. (laughs) Marshmallows. Ben, where are those hickory sticks? (laughs) End of scene. (laughs) Sure is. So true. Uh, brotherhood. Where are the hickory sticks? We need them. No. Um, now we get a pretty quick double R scene, the diner scene. Mm-hmm. There's a thing that's paid off later where Andy is taping up posters that oh, say, yes. have you seen this man? And they have Bob's face on them. But <laughs> Andy is like, Andy is, you know, like, like dumb. But mm-hmm. he, it's like turned up so high in, in this episode. And that's exemplified by the fact that he's trying to put the sign up. But he, his hands are just covered in double-sided tape. And he is not able to get it off. It's just it's stuck on one hand, then it's stuck on the other. And he's just covered in tape. And it's very silly. And this will be paid off later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that goes on for a while. A lot of cuts back and forth until eventually the log lady enters. And she sits down next to, to Garland Briggs up at the sort of diner bar. Norma comes over and says, Margaret, it's always very nice to see you, and pours her coffee. She continues, but if you're going to spit your sticky pitch gum out in the diner, would you please use an ashtray and not the counter or the booth like you did last time? I love this. I totally forgot that this happens in the, in the episode after last one, where she chews pine gu- pitch gum and sticks it in the diner it's amazing it's a callback the mm-hmm. log lady is upset that she's been called out and she the, the thumbnail on this for on the where i was watching this streamed was just the log lady's reaction shot which is incredible because mm-hmm. she looks pissed she's like i will put my disgusting pitch gum where when I'm done with it, I'm gonna put it wherever the fuck I want. I'm the log lady. Is essentially what she says with her face, but what she says with her words is, "I'll have a bear claw." Uh, Norma wordless walks away to get that bear claw for her, uh, and then the log lady talks to Major Garland Briggs. She says, "You wear shiny objects on your chest." Uh, yes, I do. Referring to his uh military yeah he's uh, medals never been seen out of this uniform. Yep. Are you proud? No. Achievement is its own reward. Pride obscures it. And then offers her cream? Uh, she doesn't say no, but she, like, puts her hand over her mug to answer that question as she asks one of her own. She says, my log has something to tell you. Do you know it? I don't believe we've been introduced. I do not introduce the log. Can you hear it? He sort of looks at it and... Very open-mindedly, but then says, I love it. It's this is so, like I love this interaction because mm-hmm. it doesn't go where you think it would with him being like such a curt and you know man of science seeming guy. But it it like makes sense that he's yep. open-minded once you see the interaction. It's great. Mm-hmm. He says, "No, ma'am, I could not." I will translate. Uh, and she kind of cradles the log a little differently and observes it. This is also on the the back end of his vision that he explains to to his son. That's right, yeah. Which I, think, which I think, you know, I always forget it's at the top of the season, I guess, even though it's one of my favorite scenes, but mm-hmm. it, it is certainly, like, at the top of the season, it's like, here's this guy's deal, here's, here's a part of his deal, and then uh-huh. he sticks around in uh, uh, screen time. She says that, the, that what the log has to say to Major Briggs is, deliver the message. Do you understand? And after a minute, he nods and says, yes, ma'am. 
As a matter of fact, I do. Great scene. We'll get what it means later, uh, near the end of the episode. They, they sit sort of silently next to each other for a little bit longer before we uh, cut to the sheriff's department. There's a fly around. I don't know why it's a big deal, but we've watched it for a good yeah, bit. We watched Lucy watch it for a good bit and we hear it. That's right. We don't see it, um, but we hear it. Meanwhile, Andy, Andy is, is like pacing outside the sheriff's department. He finally comes in. And if you recall, they're not they're having a spat. Um, they're not ta- speaking to each other right now. And he comes up to talk to her and she says, no messages, Deputy Brennan. Uh, he's still got tape on his forehead. And he op- she closes the window. He opens it a second time and he says, listen to me, Lucy Moran. You just listen. The Tacoma sperm bank was looking for donors. Naturally, I apply. It's my civic duty and I like whales. <laughs> Fantastic line. He delivers it so straight. A routine physical examination revealed that I'm sterile. Sure, I thought it meant I didn't have to take a bath, but the doctors told me the truth. They told me I can't have babies. So what I want to know now is why you're having one and how. God bless you, Andy. Ugh, Andy Brennan. Uh, She's surprised to hear this, uh, you can tell. And she is startled. She doesn't say anything. She stands up and leans in. And he leans in, like, with his eyes closed and, like, lips puckered, assuming this is a kiss. No! No. Andrew, read the room! (laughs) Because she was leaning forward so that she could rip the piece of tape that was still stuck to his forehead off and then abruptly close the glass partition. Harumphily. Harumphily, indeed. End of scene. We cut into a a different room in the sheriff's office. Um, we, We see a deer head trophy a buck trophy and it pans down to a plaque chained like around its neck that says the buck stopped here very funny hell yeah it did sheriff truman yep uh damn right this is uh revealed to be the point of view from hank our bad boy with the domino keychain that he likes to suck on he's supposed to be just being like a dick to sheriff truman here but i my head cannon based on the performance and we'll see if you agree based on having watched it uh, just earlier today, I just think he's high as fuck. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I believe that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just think he views all of this as so beneath him. Like, he's already back That's to doing yeah. crimes. That's what it's supposed to be, for sure. And yeah. he's like, yeah, I'll come sign it with my parole officer. I already have killed a man since I've been out of jail. He's And he's just, he, I don't know. He doesn't take any of this shit seriously, but... He makes fun of the... He makes fun of the, the buck. He says, That's an awfully cute buck, Harry. Uh, but yeah, he just what yeah. he signs the thing and and then leaves. Yeah, like a good boy per uh Harry Truman's uh word, verbiage. He also tells Cooper it's nice to see him again and leaves. And after he leaves, Cooper says, "Interesting piece of work. How long were you and Hank friends?" Of course, that didn't come up in the conversation, but we know Cooper is a master of body language. Uh, so we piece it together. Truman says, "We grew up together. Hank used to be a bookhouse boy." Back then, Hank was one of the best of us. And then Lucy buzzes in to say that uh, Ben Horn is calling in. We, she does her, you know, long bit of being extremely clear about what she's doing at any given moment. It's it's like a good example of why she actually is probably incredible at her job. Her over-explaining thing is actually quite good, at, like, in her duty as a secretary because mm-hmm. she's very clear, like, 
All right, Mr. Horn, I will now be transferring you to Sheriff Truman. There will be a brief, like, like she, yeah. expla- she explains the process very clearly. Yeah, it's it's played for comedy because everyone involved knows because there's mm-hmm. only so many people here. But regardless, yeah, also we cut to see Ben Horn at his desk with like a wine glass in his hand, which in- ends up to me being funny because of why he's calling mm-hmm. once you finally get to it. But. After all of the the rigmarole and the transfer has done, it's uh, Harry answers the phone and says, "Yes, Ben." Harry, Audrey's missing. What? For as much as uh, maybe two days. He says, "You hold on." Tells Cooper that that Audrey Horn is missing, and we get a dramatic zoom in on Cooper. Dramatic music pairing it because Cooper cares about Audrey Horn. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little too much. <laughs> Um, this next scene is, starts out with just some more mill stuff. Uh, legal stuff about the mill, but that's just kind of an introduction because uh, also I do want to say there's, uh, it's been in basically every episode that we've seen of Benjamin Horn's office, but I love the painting outside of his office that like, oh yeah, covers the entire viewpoint of his very large double doors. It's this like WPA, like federal art program style. There's like a logging man. It's it's a gorgeous painting. Uh, anyway, I just particularly noticed it this time. But yeah, Ben and Jerry are talking about mill stuff and Leland, who is there. Oh, both Laura's dad. But he's also there. He's also Ben and Jerry's lawyer. So uh-huh. he comes in and like he's not in on the mill plot stuff stuff no really he hasn't just been th- around the first season of the show to right be right like his nose is clean but they he's still their lawyer so he's still like accidentally involved in all this mill stuff so he says gentlemen i've been giving this a lot of thought this mill fire will no doubt put contract signing on hold for the moment so we must ensure that the moment our moment does not pass us by i therefore recommend we make a quick but cordial phone call up to iceland do a little gentle handling let einar know we're on we're right on top of this thing and they're like, fuck you. <laughs> We've got this. Uh, and Leland has walked into them already calling him. Yeah. But after being on the phone, they Ben learns that Einer has already been told about the mill fire uh, from one Leland Palmer, their lawyer. Um, so now it's a new fire to put out, so to speak, that he has been a little more involved than they'd like him to be. Because they just want to be done with this and make the money they're trying to make. They don't want this rubes prying eyes on their scheme. Yep. But as they, tr- as you know, as Ben is on the phone trying to kind of rectify the disaster that Leland has made for them, Leland notices that in Benjamin's office is one of the Have You Seen This Man posters of Bob that Andy has been putting all over town. And Leland looks at it with, like, rec- kind of horror and recognition and... He says, I know him. You are the man from my dreams. <laughs> you. I've seen mm-hmm. you. <laughs> no, uh, but yes, he... Ben is trying to get him out of the room and not worry about the Ghostwood Estate project at all. Uh, Leland continues to sort of explain, like, where he's seen this face before? My grandfather's summer house on Pearl Lakes. He lived right next door. It's just a little boy. But I know him. I have to tell the sheriff about this right away. And then he leaves. It's real distressing. Yeah, honestly. no, it's, it's a spooky. Great, great performance from one Ray Wise. Uh, Benjamin. There's also a shot in here that looks so much like Eraserhead. Like his mm-hmm. white hair is like particularly stuck up 
in in this scene for some reason and there's I'm it almost seems on purpose that he's kind of making the same face that uh, of that of the fame you know one that Our famous kind of reaction shot in Eraser had of of Pete oh uh, right exactly <laughs> Jack Nance yeah um but yeah Leland uh leaves and after he's gone Benjamin says Jerry please kill Leland <laughs> uh Jerry says is this real Ben or some strange and twisted dream <laughs> What are you talking about? Great question. Jerry says, This is so Lynchian, Ben. <laughs> Literally, he's basically <laughs> like that. Let's see. We get a scene where a oh, uh, great stuff. shot where we see it's it's uh Leo in the hospital and Doc Hayward is explaining his condition to Shelly. He is not facing the camera, but there's a big circular hospital mirror that shows us his face uh hooked up to all the you know, like the feeding tube and all of that because he's in a coma. Doc Hayward explains that he's not in pain, then he'll be on life support for uh, probably a while. Even though we do see him sort of opening his eyes in the in the reflection. To me, it indicates that like he might not be lucid or abil- able to really do anything, but he can hear everything is generally the implication I take. Yeah, uh, especially, I mean, also we know where it eventually goes. Yep. Uh, we see Lucy get a phone call, but... She says she can't transfer anyone to Sheriff Truman unless she gets their name. I'm not sure. Yeah, we only hear half of the call. I'm assuming it's Wyndham Earl, given Mm. shit he does way later in the season. And also he was mentioned earlier in this episode. And so this, my guess is this is paying off that earlier mention. But possibly whomst could know because, yeah, it's an anonymous caller. And she's like, why doesn't he want to say his name? I, I say he, but we don't actually even have that confirmed. So could be anyone. Yeah, I don't know. But we go from that to uh, One-Eyed Jacks, the Audrey A very plot. horny scene. Yeah. Audrey sort of uh, strong arms the other workers of, the, of One-Eyed Jacks to get herself in a room alone with a client who is, uh, of course, the, the Emery, the Emery manager from, yeah. from, uh, from Horn's department store, the manager who recruited Ronette and Laura into... Mm-hmm. Uh, sex work at One-Eyed Jacks. Yeah, and um, that's basically what she confirms when she gets the information out of him here by wrapping a vacuum cord around his neck, and he's tied yeah, up. Yeah, I don't want to get into all the kink shit of the little, you know, ice cubes on his toes and that shit, but yeah. it is very funny to me that one of his kinks is that there should be a woman using a vacuum cleaner he likes the next noise. to him while this sex happens. He's very upset when Audrey unplugs the vacuum cleaner and even mm-hmm. more upset when she begins to choke him with it and demand answers, yep. uh, which she gets. But yeah, it's, it's confirmation of stuff I think we already knew. Uh, but yes, she sort of makes her presence here. Uh, a parent gets the confirmation that her dad owns the place. He also knew that, of course, Ronette and uh, Laura worked here, but... Laura worked here for like one week and she was super high, so they kicked her out and never saw her again. But yeah, Ben obviously knew this and never uh, did anything with that information post-death. That's right. And that's the end of the scene, basically. We see uh, Bobby and Shelly in the car. Shelly, they basically talk about the Leo situation. She does not want to bring Leo home. And Bobby's like, look, I pretended to be his cousin and we're going to get like 5000 a month from disability checks. You should bring him home and then take the money. And she uh, is more or less talked into it. Yeah, and that's that's their plot for a lot of this season is that they are yep. 
taking Leo's insurance money um, mm-hmm. because, you know, Bobby and Shelly are together, even though Shelly is technically married to horrifying abuser Leo. <laughs> yep. And so they are, you know, taking advantage of his, his disability in this instance to take the money. Yep. That's yeah. That's basically set up for a long running plot thread through the season. Even gets tied up with Wyndham Earl somehow. Somehow we all get tied up with Wyndham Earl. There's a scene between Cooper and Major Briggs. Always great to see these two interact. Uh, yep. Which do you want to be? Well, first, uh, Cooper starts with uh, talking to Diane. Um, so I guess I'll start with, with Cooper's line here. But he says, Diane, I received some very bad news today. And he's back um, in his hotel room. Uh, my boyfriend is like, if I was shot, I would have moved rooms. I would have not been in the <laughs> same hotel. Uh, it also very quickly opens the door when uh, Briggs shows up. But Cooper says, Diane, I received some very bad news today. Wyndham Earls vanished. The disappearance of my former partner is extremely troubling. I also learned that Audrey Horn is missing. Audrey's absence touches me in ways I could not predict. I find myself thinking not of clues or of evidence, but of the content of her smile. Shut the fuck up, yeah. dude. He's like 18. <laughs> yeah, the door is knocked out, and he says, who is it? It's Major Briggs, Asian Cooper. And he's like, that's a minor character. What's he doing here? And then says, yeah. just, just a moment, and then goes and answers the door. Uh, he comes inside. I have a message for you. From whom? I'm not at liberty to reveal the nature of my work. This secrecy pains me from time to time. Any bureaucracy that functions in secret inevitably leads itself into corruption. But these rules I have pledged to uphold. I believe a pledge is sacred. Speaking as a man and a fellow employee of the federal government, so do I. Well, I may reveal this much. Among my many tasks is the maintenance of deep space monitors aimed at galaxies beyond our own. Cool. We, (laughs) of course it is. We routinely receive various communications, space garbage, to decode and examine. They look something like this, and he brings out a briefcase and he has a computer print out uh and he says radio waves and gibberish agent cooper until thursday night friday morning to be exact around the time i was shot the readout took us by surprise row after row of gibberish and all of a sudden the owls are not what they seem and in fact on this readout of random k78b60 76 G5065, then all of a sudden says the owls are not what they seem, and then goes right back to gibberish. Joe, have you heard of the Library of Babel? Duh. It's a Jorge Luis Borges idea? No, I've heard that phrase before, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. It's, uh, it's from a Borges short story where he talks about a, a theoretical way where you could organize a library, an infinite-sized library, arranged in hexagons, arranged in rows that could theoretically organize and house every combination of text in a given alphabet or or given or in any alphabet and it's very and it's it's kind of a horrifying idea. There's a good website of it. I think it's just Tower of Babel or sorry, not Tower of Babel, Library of Babel. That's why mm-hmm. I'm not finding it. Uh, it's called libraryofbabel.info. And it, 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 so it's just a, uh, that website is like a showing what it would be like. It, it essentially figures out what the, it, it generates what the location of any text you put in it would be. And it's this really kind of haunting thing because in this scheme, because literally every combination of text has its place in this organizational scheme, uh, theoretically, 
it's like it would be just gibberish, 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 and then the exact text you're looking for. And the way Borges puts it is like, theoretically, in this library is like every piece of scripture that has ever been written or could ever be written. It has the the true story of your death is written here. Um, and it's just kind of eerie in that sense. And it's that same sense of eeriness of seeing this order arising out of the chaos of these radio messages to see the owls are not what they seem amidst this. I know that's a long way to go to explain that, but it's what it made me think of. No, I mean, it's a good comparison point, too. And obviously that is the phrase, that the, one of the phrases that the, the giant said that's right. in the dream on the previous episode. I was also thinking, I love how many of these episodes just start in the morning and end at night, like it's just like a day. Uh-huh. Uh, it's great, great structure for this sort of, uh, you know, any, I think it probably any serialized thing. Because Cooper is the main character, they start in the hotel and end in the hotel too. Mm-hmm. But Cooper asks, why did you bring this to me? Because later in the morning, Cooper, and he points to a Another piece in the gibberish that just says Cooper. And then it says Cooper. Cooper. It yeah. says it three times. Interesting that I f- forgot this was so early in the season because now I almost want to. This is kind of where the book ends. The secret history of Twin Peaks mm-hmm. it, it ends with uh, this information coming into the satellite. Uh, kind of makes me want to go and like reread the last section of that. But yeah, so Cooper's response to that is, my God. <laughs> my God, that's Jason Bourne. <laughs> This next scene is fucking iconic. Oh, yeah, no, uh, James was always cool. James has always been cool. James has always been cool. Uh, there was funny, when Bobby showed up, we cut to the Bobby screen, my boyfriend says, there's my favorite white boy. <laughs> um, by, the end of that, by the end of that scene, they were, like, losing white boy points. But then we cut to the James starting a band with Donna and, and Madeline, and my boyfriend says, this is my least favorite white boy. <laughs> <laughs> he's He's playing acoustic guitar and he's getting donna and madeline to sing backing vocals for him for this love song and it's this awkward scene where madeline's just there singing but donna and james are locked in in romantic loving eyes with each other just just you and and i together forever in love uh and the person who dubs their voice in for james sounds nothing like james no it's clearly an octave above just you i i it sounded like something I. I would hear on like the rocky horror soundtrack it's very uh what's that guy's forever. name richard o'brien i think In love. <laughs> it's so bad yeah. it's great though yeah but it, it's yes i i i like it it's it's I don't, I, know, do I don't know if it's supposed it's to be dumb. good, but I, I, I enjoy the scene quite a bit. But yeah, like halfway through, uh, the eye contact kind of switches from James looking at Madeline and then Donna kind of notices and then uh, runs off. Right, right. I, yeah, I think it's a fantastic scene. And I don't know. It's it's very uh, I, don't, I don't know. Like, it's kind of interesting that this is James, what James would try and make it writing a dumb little song especially that it sounds like it mm-hmm. would be 40 years uh old right. at this point it, yeah it, it's like a, it sounds like santo and johnny or yeah. something. It, it, it i don't know i think it does a lot for the the sort of setting and the the character of, of james who has always been cool anyways but yeah she runs off james chases after and they talk uh, he's like what's going on and she says i'm trembling james you made me it's very Fun melodrama. 
Yeah, and it does, nothing really comes of it because Doc Hayward interrupts saying, there's a telephone call from you, for you for, from a Harold Smith, if we remember she was delivering to it. Yep. She was trying to talk to Mr. Smith, who knew Laura. Yeah, and she goes and sort of takes that call. Nothing really revealed in this episode outside of they're going to meet. Um, and then we cut to Madeline, who's alone in the living room now, and she has... A sort of night, oh, nightmarish vision. One of yeah, one of the most terrifying things that uh, works its way into the show. At least I guess uh, one of. There are plenty more things to come. But I saw a tweet the other day. It's like God, David Lynch is one of the best directors at making uh, scary things that aren't quite horror. And I'm like, no, a lot of his things are just horror. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. They're just different approaches to it. Um, and this is certainly one of those things. Just a long shot, but it's it's Madeline's POV. Of the uh, of the Hayward house, the very pristine and delicate Hayward living room. Yep, um, and like and sort of Bob uh, around the corner. Yeah, Bob comes out, is walking very slowly, but then like enters the middle of the shot, walks towards the camera, which is her POV. But he like climbs over the couch and then like over yeah, a table yeah. and like fills the entire frame. Like seamlessly just like uh navigates over all of the intricately placed furniture and things in the, in the living room until he's like right next to the camera which is situated on this kind of back table that Madeline is seeing across and he's like pulling the pieces of the table uh, apart from each other to make room for him to presumably mm-hmm. climb over and into where the camera is uh, and she starts to scream and that's when James and Donna uh come to see what's wrong and bob is gone yeah uh just fantastic image making if nothing else yep uh and that's the that's the end of the the scene in the the hayward house basically the end of the episode two that well i guess yeah cooper has a nightmare yep he has a yeah i don't know if it's that important it's just kind of showing us like I, the image yeah, reminded of, that the giant said owls yeah, are not what they seem. I, I, I do want to point out that he he hasn't the image of Bob at the foot of the bed and like sort of the face mm. of an owl superimposed onto his face. That's another mm-hmm. image that I I think of often from the show. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, a lot of it is just kind of reminding you that the giant said the same thing that came from the space message. Uh, he is awoken from his dream. By a phone call from Audrey from One-Eyed Jacks, uh, and she, you know, she had her whole thing. She left a dumbass note for Cooper that he never saw because he hasn't found it. Yeah, it, it was like under his bed or some place like that. Not sure how it got there. It was on the table when he was shot. Now it's under the right. bed. Right? Who knows? Who cares? But she's like, what? You know, she's like, why aren't you here? And and he's like, fucking tell me where are you? Come home now. She gives one. All she's able to get clue. out is. I saw you in your tuxedo. You look like a movie star. I'm in trouble, but I'm going to come home now. And then her, the phone call is cut off because uh, Black Rose has come in and put her hand on the receiver to hang up the call. She's there with Emery behind her, having cut off the call. And she says, trouble, Miss Horn? You don't know what trouble is. Joe, where are you on the internet? Uh, Twitter.com slash ghost of Joe, ghost of J-O. Um, on another podcast called We Are Watching One Piece, where we're covering the whole cake arc of the anime. One Piece, I've seen it before. My co-host, Jory, is watching it for the first time. That's that show's bit. Also, uh, listen to Interstitial Season 3, if you, for some reason, haven't yet, and you're listening to this now. Um, what about you, Wheels? 
you should listen to Very Random Encounters. It's a show where some friends and I play tabletop role-playing games and randomly determine as much as is possible. We're currently airing a series of two mini-seasons, uh, each of three episodes before we go into our next full season. We're airing right now, we're airing Big Bang Superstars with the co-authors of that one-page excellent micro-RPG, uh, Nathan Blades and Grant Howitt. Very, very fun. It's like a cosmic voguing competition between space warlocks in an attempt to become the king of space. That's that's the premise. It rips. Very much Paradise Killer vibes is, is kind of what they're going for with it. So that's airing right now. After that, we've got another guest, Junie Ruiz, joining us for uh, a game created by my co-host on Very Random Encounters by Logan. That game is, I'm sure you're wondering why I've gathered you all here this evening, which is a murder party themed game and that goes wild in great places uh to that many season i really love it but uh that'll be airing in a few weeks and then after that we get to things from the flood which is a sequel to tales from the loop we will be continuing the story from our tales from the loop season so uh go listen to that now and then when the new season comes out you'll be ready for things from the flood uh tales from the loop took place vaguely in the 80s this will take place vaguely in the 90s uh so only 90s babies uh understand that's, true. Uh, that's a very random encounters you can also find me on twitter at singular wheels uh hell yeah what else do we plug uh the twitter for this show is memorized cast and our pinned tweet and show notes you'll find some links to things like our discord server our patreon patreon.com slash memorized cast you'll get monthly bonus episodes which will be back to this month uh, february uh you can also get a whole season of interstitial season three if you haven't checked it out uh in the public feed it's gotta be what f- five episodes are out now six will be out this week but then the whole 16 episode season you can just get uh, right now, if you want to, you know, hear it sooner. Um, and thank you to everybody who has supported us there and listened to it and liked it and said nice things about it. It's been really great to finally hear people hear it uh, after yeah. making it in secret for, I don't know, most of last year. So thank you, everybody, checking out Interstitial. And thank you, everybody, who's listening to Twin Peaks. You, Wheels, you made this exact same tweet. It feels like. Uh, cheating that we have somehow gotten mm-hmm. <laughs> build a show that we can talk about Twin Peaks just because we want to and people still listen and like it. Um, so thank thanks. you, thanks for for listening along. This season uh, is long and weird, and we will um, appreciate people who <laughs> listen to us talk about it. Uh, and yeah, I think that's I think that's it for the the sort of plug section. Our music is uh, linked in the show notes, whatever it is, wherever it came from. And I think that's, I think that's all the stuff now. That was season two, episode two, a.k.a. episode nine, the tenth episode, Coma. Gathered and memorized. do it in my head it's become the same melody as um i don't know i guess like it's a stinger or something but it's from like the pokemon anime (laughs) that's in my head now with it oh funny